The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum by Discipleship.org. The theme was relationships, and Disciple First hosted a track called Developing a Disciple Making Culture. That's where today's audio was recorded. Make sure to go online and download a free ebook from their team called Invest in a Few, which is about practical ways to disciple people by investing into just a few. It's available for free at discipleship.org slash disciple first. Discipleship.org slash disciple first. Here's today's audio. We're going to go ahead and get started. Uh, this is uh, one of my favorite sessions, what we're going to talk about today. We're going to get, we're going to roll up your sleeves. You're going to go to work uh, doing, doing some uh, evaluating of your programming and what does it take to make it an intentional disciple making uh, strategy. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. So it's going to be really good. I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to get into the word some uh, this morning and uh, dig out of, out of there um, some, some insights. And then uh, I'm going to give you some principles and then we're going to go let you have some time just to, just to work. And then we'll come back and we'll kind of report back how, how it's going. Okay. So that's kind of what the plan is for the next hour. And uh, then in the next session, uh, Moody and I will be kind of team, team teaching the last session, okay? So uh, we've got a few seats, uh, folks coming in. We've got a few seats here, so it might be good if you guys can make a, a space. There's, there's one right up here. There's one right up here. There's one right over there. So uh, there you go. Come on in. Very good. What's that? They don't get the bright-eyed bushy-tailed board. <laughs> no, they don't. They do not get the bright-eyed bushy-tailed board. You had to be here when I said it to get that. <laughs> That's right. All right. Hey, let's, uh, let's pray together, and then uh, we'll, jump, we'll jump on into it. Father, we, we really love you so much, and we are so thankful that we uh, are called your sons and daughters. Uh, Lord, we're thankful that we have received grace through Jesus Christ and, uh, and with him hope. And Lord, I, I thank you for these leaders that love you, God, and are doing their very best to, uh, to lead well and to make disciples and make disciples. I know that's on their heart or they wouldn't even be here. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to, um, to understand what you want and that Lord, you would help us to lead our people that direction. Lord, we want to look over our shoulder and see uh, multiple generations of disciples making disciples. Lord, we know that would please you. So Lord, help us to do that uh, in the places you've called us. So Lord, open our hearts, open our ears, give us divine insight uh, today. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so uh, just a, a little bit of review, just very short review in case uh, you've, you've not been in the other sessions. We start off talking about, um, you know, the big picture, right? We start, we start talking about our corporate culture and how do you assess your culture, whether it's healthy or not healthy. And then we dove down a little bit deeper into, okay, what does a disciple-making culture look like? And we said there are three essential ingredients to a disciple-making culture. It's like a three-legged uh, stool. If you are missing one of these, you are not going to have a disciple-making culture. The first one is you must have a disciple-making pastor. Remember we said culture is, is, uh, starts at the top. Uh, is shaped at the top. And so uh, a disciple-making pastor is one that not only advocates disciple-making, but demonstrates disciple-making in his personal life, okay? Because people will do what you do more than what you say. And so as a disciple-making pastor, if you're investing in others, if you're walking with God, you're reaching your world, you're having relationships with friends, with people that are far from God, and you're investing in a few, then you have the moral authority then to challenge others in your church to do that, right? If you're not doing those things, you really don't have the moral authority to challenge them to do it because they're like, well, pastor, you're not doing that. And, and it's like the emperor with no clothes. Everybody knows it. And so nobody's going to say it, but they're just not going to do it. All right. But when you can look at your staff and say, listen, I'm doing this. 
So therefore, I expect you to do this. Or you have a high value leaders in your church and you say, I am doing this. I expect you to follow me as I follow Christ. Like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, then, then you have that moral authority to lead that direction. Okay. So that's kind of what we talked about. A disciple making uh, first element is a disciple making pastor. Second element of a disciple making uh, church is a disciple making pathway. That's what we're going to talk about right now. What is the pathway? How are you intentionally leading people from one step to the next to the next with a, a, an end goal? So we're going to talk about what is the product of a disciple-making church and what is the pathway. We're going to talk about those two things in this session right now. Then the third element, the essential element, disciple-making pastor, disciple-making pathway, and ultimately disciple-making people. You have to have folks that are multipliers. So how do you get people to multiply? And how do you encourage them to continue to make disciples and make disciples for the long run? That's what we'll talk about in the session after this one. Okay, so that gives you the kind of the big picture of those three essential elements. Every disciple making church that I've seen has those elements. Now they may do them differently. They may the expressions will be as unique as the churches, but they always have those elements. Disciple making pastor, a disciple making pathway, clear disciple making pathway, and then they have people that are multiplying and they keep them fired up and energized to disciple. Okay, does that make sense to everybody? All right, that's kind of the big picture. So now we're going to dive into um, uh, a disciple-making pathway. Uh, what does that look like uh, in your church? Uh, Michael Gerber, in his book, The E-Myth Revised, he said, what makes people work is the idea worth working for along with a clear understanding of what needs to be done. I love that. Uh, I, we got an idea. And then we know what needs to be done. That's what keeps people moving and working. And I think Jesus did the best job of giving the big idea and then the thing that needs to be done. Let's see. Can you find a seat? We'll go ahead and make a little spot for her right here. We got one around the front row. If you're really dangerous, you, you know, you can you might get showers of blessing there if, if I get to go on too, too, too much. That's, what, that's, that's what I'm feeling on my face. Uh, all right, so this is so. Let me take you to Matthew 28. If you got your Bible, you can open up there. If you have, uh, open your browser or your Bible, whichever, uh, to Matthew 28. Uh, this is the quintessential um, right disciple-making passage. Um, it, how many of you have been to Israel? Raise up your hand. Okay, so wow, several of you have been. How many of you have been to Mount Arbel? Okay, so a few of you have been to Mount Arbel. Mount Arbel is the tallest mountain on the uh, western shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. It has a very pronounced profile. It, it goes up and then drops drops off, and so it's very easy to spot. Uh, if you're if you're uh, if you're on the east side looking across, you have this beautiful uh, view of it. Uh, Mount Arbel. Uh, if you were to stand on top of Mount Arbel and look to the north, you would see Mount Hermon, which is the tallest mountain in Israel. There's actually a ski resort on the top of it, believe it or not. Uh, and uh, on the top of Mount Hermon, this is really the headwaters of the North Jordan. The Jordan comes uh, from there. And it comes down into the Sea of Galilee, then all the way down to the Dead Sea. Uh, so if you were to look to the uh, east from Mount Arbel across the lake, then you would see the tabletop formations of the Golan Heights. Uh, if you could look beyond that, you would see uh, Jordan, the country uh, of Jordan. Then if you were to uh, look south from Mount Arbel, if you look south, then you would see the patchwork quilt of the Jezreel Valley. You would see then the rolling hills of Samaria. And if you were, if it were possible, you would you would start to see the elevation climb all the way up to Jerusalem. Uh, if you look to the west of Mount Arbel, then you would look and you, if it's a clear day, you'd see some very two faint uh, electrical uh, chimneys, uh, a part of electrical plant that's right on right by Caesarea Maritima, and that's where the Apostle Paul was in prison, and then later went from there to take the gospel to Rome. So from the point of Mount Arbel, you can literally see the nations. Now, many people believe that that was the place where Jesus gave the Great Commission. The reason is, we don't know that for sure, but here's what we do know. We do know that the trail between uh, Capernaum and Nazareth went right through Mount Arbel. That's called the Trail of Doves. And it, it, it was a highly trafficked trail right between there, went right by uh, Mount Arbel. We know that Jesus traveled that multiple times. Uh, we also know that Jesus refers in here in Matthew 
that he tells uh, in verse 16, he said, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. So we know that they went to a mountain in Galilee. Well, the tallest mountain is Mount Arbel. And the fact that it's, it actually is right above Megiddo, uh, 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 where, not Megiddo, uh, where Mary Magdalene is from, is just right where they've just unearthed all that area and excavated. It's fascinating. Um, so, so what I'm saying is that this could be the place where Jesus gave the Great Commission. So the coolest thing ever, and you need to go with us. Actually, we're going to Israel this next year. So if you'd like to go, come on. Uh, we've, we've got seats right now available. Uh, and you can go to our table and find out if you want to jump on that tour. We do a Life of Christ tour. We actually do in chronology. We study the life of Jesus and how he made disciples and made disciples. And uh, we will go to Mount Arbel. And it will be, I, I get goosebumps just thinking about it right now. I'm so excited about it. But we'll stand right there and we will read the Great Commission as he is pointing to the nations that are unfolding around them. So this is what he says. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always uh, to the end of the age. So, of course, this is called the Great Commission. Uh, Moody talked about it's just a commission, uh, that it's, it's the, it, it, is the, the, it is what Jesus told us to do, okay? I really believe that one day you're not going to stand before Christ and he's going to say, did you do what I told you to do? Did you, did you do what I told you to do? So in this commission, we have uh, the product, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write on here. The product is, is the, uh, the, the divine imperative in this passage. So what is the imperative? What is the command in this passage? You guys know this. So what is the command? Make disciples. Aha. Make disciples. Yeah. Make disciples is actually uh, the command. All right. That is what is called the divine imperative. The command that Jesus told them to do was to make disciples. The, the word is mathetes uh, in the Greek, uh, which means to be a learner. All right. Uh, the, a, the Hebrew equivalent would be uh, Talmud or plural would be Talmudim. Uh, which means, again, a learner or a, one who studies to be a rabbi. That's the idea of what a uh, disciple would be. Now, now, let me just say this, that this is really important. 230 times uh, the word disciple is used in the Gospels. Another 28 times in the book of Acts. So the word uh, the disciple is an important word. But Jesus did not invent disciple making. Jesus did not start disciple making. Disciple making actually predates Jesus uh, in the fact that you look in the Old Testament, you see disciples being made. In fact, if you're in the life of Christ, there were multiple disciples that were there during the life of Jesus. There were disciples of John, right? There were disciples of the Pharisees. Uh, there were the disciples of Moses in John 9, 28. So this idea that there, even in the, you look at the Old Testament, you had the prophets that had schools of prophets and you had musicians in the temple that had schools of musicians. So this idea of disciple making, having a master that trains a follower to do their, his job is, is predates Jesus. You understand that? Jesus was simply using what was the uh, predominant method by which you raise up those who come after you. And um, this idea of following a master uh, is rooted in the Old Testament. Let me give you a little example of that. We don't really have uh, the time to dive too deep into it, but let me just give you a little example of that. Um, if you look at 1 Kings 19 and 2 Kings chapter 2, you see an example. You have the story of Elijah, remember? And Elijah is depressed, and Elijah goes to the mountain. Remember, he wants to quit. He's you on Monday morning, all right? And he's depressed, and he wants to quit, and he wants to sell shoes or computers or something else. And God says, no, go to the mountain. And so he meets with God, and God is not in the fire, and he's not in the earthquake, and he's not in the whirlwind. He's in the still, small voice. And uh, there God speaks to him. 
and Elijah is able to unload all his depression, his discouragement, and what's not going right with his life. And then God gives him some instruction. I want you to anoint this king. I want you to do this. And he says, I want you to go to Elisha and prepare him to take your place. So Elijah leaves there and he goes and finds Elisha. And Elisha, remember, he's plowing with uh, 12 oxen and he's just doing his work. And Elijah comes and throws his cloak on his shoulder. Remember that? It just kind of keeps walking. Everybody knew who Elijah was. He was the guy. And so he comes and throws his cloak on his shoulder and just walks off. And Elisha knows immediately that means that he's telling him to be a disciple. Which, by the way, you should try that at church sometime. Just go throw your jacket on somebody and keep walking. See if they pick up on that. Anyway, maybe not. Uh, just an idea. Uh, like, what, what are you doing throwing your jacket on me? Anyway, so Elijah gets the picture. And so Elisha does. And so he has a big, you know, he has a big barbecue. He slaughters the oxen. He says goodbye to his family. And off he goes. And we're not really told how long from a chronology standpoint, how long Elisha follows Elijah. We don't really know, but, but he's learning during that time. He's literally following him around. He's listening to him teach. He's watching him train uh, his schools of prophets. He's watching him pray. He's watching him do prophet things like, you know, call out, you know, the word of the Lord to, to uh, powers that be. He's watching all these things. He's learning. He's following his master for the purpose of becoming like his master and eventually to carry on the work when Elijah is gone. And so you get in 2 Kings chapter 2 and you have that great story about Elijah, Elijah says, it's time for me to go. Just stay back. He goes, no, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to leave you three times. He says, I'm not going to leave you. And then he goes down to this actually event took place just north of the Dead Sea. So I, if you go with me to Israel, we'll take a look at this area where this actually went down. And you'll see the, the, the fiery chariots of Israel come down. And Elijah's caught up. And Elisha says, my Lord, I see the chariots of, of heaven and of Israel. And, and the mantle falls to the ground, right? And I just see it steaming, you know, and Elijah picks it up. Elisha picks it up and uh, he says, behold, the mantle of the prophet. And he strikes the Jordan River and it splits open and he walks across on dry ground. And the other prophets, there were others that were there. They see what's happening. They go out and do a search for Elijah. Of course, he's, he's gone. They come back and they say this statement. They say, the spirit of Elijah now rest in Elisha. Wow, that's a, that's a powerful statement. In other words, Elisha just kind of stepped now into the role. And the same spirit and authority is now in him to carry on the work. Now, that is a beautiful picture of disciple making, right? That he followed his master so as to become like his master. And then eventually to be filled with the same spirit of that master to carry on the work. All right? And that is what Jesus has called his disciples to do. To follow him so as to become like him, to be filled with his spirit, to carry on his work until he comes again, right? That is disciple making. So you could say in one sense that that is a, a definition of a disciple. A disciple is one who follows a master to become like the master and carry on the work. Uh, this is the definition of a disciple. Now listen, the definitions of a disciple are, uh, are varied and one of the things that you must do as a leader is you must define a disciple. You must define a disciple. If you're going to make a disciple, you got to know what it is that you're making. And you have to clearly define it. You know, this is a challenge. I remember uh, maybe about five years ago, I was in a meeting with some of the leaders of, of this uh, conference. Uh, and there were some other guys that were there at that meeting that I'm describing that are not here uh, now. These guys have written tons of books on disciple making. If I called their names, you would know all the, all the people. Um, and so we're talking about having a disciple making conference and this kind of thing. And then the question comes up as to, you know, definition of a disciple, which you would think uh, with all these people that everyone would just sing in, in full part harmony, right? And be awesome. And uh, not so much. Uh, actually, there was like one person said this, well, I don't really think that. And then another one said this, and then they started getting, the exchange started getting a little intense. And, uh, and I mean, it was, it was like, whoa, whoa, what is happening here? I mean, it was going all over the place. And I remember uh, Bill Hall was in that meeting and he stood up, you know, Bill is in the sage stage of life. And uh, he stood up, and he said, gentlemen, I'll never forget it. He said, gentlemen, everybody kind of quieted down. 
He said, we are using the same words, but we're speaking a different language. And that's really true when it comes to disciple making. Many people say the word disciple, but what they mean by that word disciple is not always the same thing. So for you to lead and create this pathway, you have to know what the pathway leads to. Right? What is the end product? What Jesus is describing here, go and make disciples. He's, he's, he is defining the end product. The end product of your church uh, is to produce disciples. Now, I've even had guys challenge me on that. Well, Craig, that's not really true. We're just here to service and teach and lead and that, that kind of thing. And, and we're not supposed to produce anything. I would say uh, I disagree with that because Matthew 28 says I'm to make something. I'm to make a disciple. I believe the, the, the scoreboard that Jesus has for your church may not necessarily be your attendance or your giving or your buildings, but I do think it is how many disciples are you making? Now listen, how do you know if you're making a disciple or not? How would you know? If you don't have some kind of prototype, if you don't have some kind of rough outline of what you're shooting for, then how can I know as a pastor that I'm actually making disciples? So uh, it means I've got to define that end product. So your first step is to define this, what is a disciple? Now, let me tell you, we went on about a two-year study of the life of Christ. We, we dug into the scriptures. We, we evaluated what Jesus did. And we learned what, we studied the chronology of Jesus in year one and year two and year three and beyond. We did a lot of work on this uh, to come up with a very simple definition. So I almost feel like I'm cheating you by giving you the definition, right? Because it's much better if you come up with it on your own. And honestly, you may come up with a whole lot better one than I'm giving you right now. You may say, oh, that's terrible. I could do a better job than that. Well, great. You know, go do it you know, and just email it to me. All right. And we'll, we'll all learn together. Uh, but I'm telling you that we have landed on a definition that we feel like is realistic enough. It, it can help us differentiate whether we feel like someone is a disciple or not. Okay. Uh, some people have said disciple is only a believer. Uh, only. Well, I make disciples when I evangelize, right? And if I make, and if I, if a woman got a Christ or a woman of Christ, then I've made a disciple. Well, that may be a portion of a disciple, but not a fully developed disciple because there are many other scriptures that talk about a disciple that does something, that sacrifices something, right? Or that does certain things like Moody was talking about yesterday that dwells in the word and produces fruit and these kinds of things, which is far more beyond uh, just making a decision, right? So how do you define yourself? Let me give you our definition, all right? I'm cheating you by giving you this definition, but I'm going to do it anyway. All right, here's the first thing. A disciple is devoted. A disciple is devoted to Jesus. So, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's what I mean by cheating you. I, I'm giving you the answers, you know. And honestly, like I said, you need to do your own work because you may come up with something different than this. Uh, but I have looked at, you know, Bobby's definition. I've looked at Jim's definition. You know, we, we get together and we talk about this stuff. And, and everybody uses different words, but they all have the same basic elements. Uh, so however you want to express it in your context, you need to contextualize it. But these are the basic elements that we have landed on. One is a disciple is devoted. That is that this person is a born again believer. Matthew 1.18, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So a disciple is, first of all, someone who has repented of their sin. They have believed in Jesus Christ for the salvation of their souls. Uh, that is the, that is the first step of being a disciple is that um, secondly a disciple is developing that is that they are growing in, uh, and I'm going to put here they're developing in two things one um, in competency and in character now, I wish I had more time to unfold those two things, but let me just say competency are there were certain things that Jesus trained them to do that they needed to know how to do in order to multiply. Did Jesus train his disciples on everything they needed to know? Yes, yes or no? No. In fact, later on, Jesus said, there's so much more I would give you, but I, I, you can't even take it right now. And the Holy Spirit's going to reveal it to you. So Jesus did not train them on everything. There was, he didn't tremble on every piece of theology or any, he didn't. 
What he did do was he trained them on certain things that they needed to prove that they could do in order to multiply. If you are training up a, um, a plumber, right? If you're a master plumber and you're having an apprentice, there's certain competencies that plumber needs to be able to do in order to get his license and do the job. If you're training a surgeon, there are certain competencies. If you're training a lawyer or an accountant, there's certain competencies. And there are certain competencies that a disciple needs to know how to do in order to multiply. And so part of the development are these competencies, okay? These competencies. And you're probably saying, well, what are they, right? Uh, so let me give you a very, uh, again, this is, um, this is kind of off note here. So I'm just going to give, give you these, these things real quick. Think of these competencies as three buckets, okay? Uh, the first bucket I would call uh, walk with God. The first competency that Jesus trained his disciples to do was to walk with God. Now, can you think of how Jesus, or specific ways that Jesus trained his disciples on how to walk with God? Anybody? He modeled it. Okay, he modeled how to walk with God. The Lord's prayer. Yeah, prayer. Multiple times Jesus taught this is how to pray, right? And then he modeled prayer. Uh, what, what else? Scripture. Scripture. Jesus quoted 70 different passages uh, of Scripture, constantly reverting them back to Scripture. Good. Faith. Faith. Jesus taught them and modeled for them how to live by faith, right? How to deal with temptation uh, is a great example. What? Baptism. baptism, right. Jesus himself was baptized and talked and demonstrated the importance of baptism. Right. So you can, you can see that there are multiple, uh, multiple things in this bucket of walk with God, but Jesus certainly taught them how to walk with God. Okay. The second thing Jesus uh, trained them to do was to reach their world. Okay? So in, in his training, Jesus taught them how to reach the world and to share the gospel. Now, can you give me some examples of how Jesus did that? Give me the Great Commission. The limited commission, the first one. Yes. <coughs> sent them out for a trial. That's right. When he sent them out two by two. Absolutely. Training them out to share the gospel, preaching to all these different villages. Absolutely. Well. Woman at the well, looking for people of peace. How else? Feeding the 5,000. Feeding the 5,000. demoniac, the, the Syrophoenician woman. Uh, uh, all these, you know, he was constantly stretching them outside of where they were comfortable. The, he was taking them to places that good Jewish men would never go and to remind them that every person matters to God, that every person needs the gospel, that God can change anybody. Uh, the conversation with Nicodemus, back to back with the woman at the well, polar opposite. One outsider, one insider, one uh, you know, untrained, one highly educated. Uh, Jesus runs the spectrum, right, of training them how to reach their world that all, all people matter to God. Even, even dealing with uh, the outcast of, you know, the tax collectors and sinners, you know, that whole group. And then how to deal with criticism from the religious people when you do that. All these things Jesus taught and trained. His, everything Jesus did was a training opportunity. It was always on purpose. It was always intentional. It was always training them because they were going to need to do that. Did these guys do what they learned from Jesus in the book of Acts? Absolutely they did. All right. So he trained them on how to walk with God. They had to know that to multiply. He taught them how to reach their world. They had to know those things to multiply. And then I want to give you one more thing. He taught them how to invest in a few. He taught them how to disciple. Now, how did Jesus teach them how to disciple somebody? By yeah, by discipling them, right? Uh, they were simply modeling what Jesus did for them. And so Jesus trained them on how to cast vision. When he goes out on Matthew 4, 19, and he says, hey, uh, I know you're fishing, but, but uh, how about fishing for men, Right? What is he doing? He's casting vision. You know, he taught them how to cast vision. He taught them how to spend time one-on-one. -on -one. He taught them how to have sidebar conversations. He taught them how to deal with problems. He taught them how to invest his life in a few. And you see them actually doing that again in the book of Acts. 
and even even in, in Paul's ministry. So my point is this: He not only deal with he deal with competencies. By the way, I believe and this is my personal conviction that those three buckets are the things you need to train a disciple to do. You need to train them how to walk with God. You need to train them how to reach the world, and you need to train them how to disciple other people. If you can do those three things for a lifetime, you will look over your shoulder and find multiple multiplied generations behind you of disciples. Just those three things. If you'll walk with God every day, if you'll have a person that's lost on your heart, and if you will invest in a few, those simple things consistently over time, you, there will be a movement of disciple making behind you. I totally believe that. A friend of mine is named Jerry Fine. Jerry uh, is now in his 80s. Uh, he was a general contractor. He basically went to rebuild runways for the government. He would go in and repatch and, and reseal runways. Not a very glamorous job, but he traveled quite a bit. And he was fully committed to walking with God, reaching his world, and investing in a few. And so everywhere he would go, when he would be stationed at a job, he would share his faith. He would go into a church. He would find a few believers, and he would invest in them. And he traveled all over the United States. Well, these little, this little packet of information that he would take them through, uh, these people started to travel to other places overseas. And so that material, which he called one-on-one -on -one with God, now is translated into 20 different languages. Uh, God has multiplied that all over the world. Jerry didn't start off with a big strategic strategy and big plan. He just was walking with God, reaching his world, and investing in a few everywhere he went. And kind of like Johnny Appleseed, he was planting disciples all across the United States that would spread all over the world. You think he's going to have a reward in heaven? Absolutely. He wasn't, he wasn't in seminary. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't trained. He was just a guy that took Jesus at his word. So listen, you can do that. Anybody can do that. People in your church can do that. They, but you got to train them on these three things, okay? So this is, you train them on competency, and then you train them on character. That's, that's inside stuff. So competency is outside stuff. You know, what do I do? Character is inside stuff, who I am. And so he obviously dealt with them in character issues. Can you think of times when Jesus dealt with them in character issues? Which one of them yeah, when they're fighting over who's going to be you know, on the org chart, right? Rebuking Peter. Yeah, Peter. Wow, Peter. Bless his heart, we love him, don't we? Pushing the kids away. What? Pushing the kids away. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Dad, let the kids come to me. Yeah, then you've got the Sons of Thunder that sound like a wrestling team, right? You know, the, <laughs> and they've got anger issues, you know. I mean, he's all constantly dealing with that. You're going to deal with that too. As you disciple people, you're going to find out that, wow. You know, John Orberg has got a great title of a book. He said, everyone's normal till you get to know them. <laughs> I just love that. I'm like, that is so true. Uh, you know, and so you're going to find out what, what what's abnormal about the people you're discipling and what, what do you need to work on in their character. So the definition of disciple, we're, that's what we're talking about. One, number one, are they devoted? I mean, are, are they devoted? Have they given their life to Christ? Number two, how are they developing in these competencies and in their character? Are they developing or they're growing? Do they getting a handle on these things and starting to live them out? Okay, they have to have that in order to multiply. And then thirdly, uh, they got to be deployed. You got to deploy them out uh, to uh, do the job. Matthew 20, 21, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. Now, military people know what it means to be deployed. It's very clear. When you're deployed, you have left the security of home and you are engaging the enemy, right? And so to be deployed means that you are intentionally doing the work of Christ. You're looking for people that are far from God. You're discipling people. You're moving the ball forward. That's what it means to be uh, deployed. So this is this definition of a disciple. We call this the 3D definition of a disciple. Uh, devoted, developed, and deployed. Uh, Chris mentioned that uh, yesterday. Uh, in passing. That's what we mean by the definition. So this is our working definition. So when we're talking about a person, we say, okay, are they saved? Okay, yeah, they're saved. Ha have they been through our training to help develop in these areas? Yeah, they've been through book one, book two, book three. They're, they're, they're getting this down. They're, are, are they engaged at some level in making disciples and are sharing their faith and this? Yeah, they're doing that. All right, then we would say that person is a disciple, a mature disciple or a growing disciple, okay? Uh, have they learned everything that they need? No, they're always gonna be growing, they're always gonna be maturing, uh, but the, this is the basic pieces in place uh, for them.
Does that make sense? Now let me let me tap the brakes here for just a second and ask uh, of, of any questions. Any questions about that? You want to disagree with it? Uh, you uh, you have a clarification? Yeah, John twenty twenty one. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Yeah, developing uh, is Luke 640. A disciple, when he is fully trained, will be like his master. So that's another great one, John, Luke 640. Yeah. Okay, that's great. So usually when I start off discipling any person, the first thing I cover is the gospel. And so I do that for two reasons. One is if they're not saved, then that's going to become pretty clear because I'm going to ask them, you know, so when was the time that you gave your life to Christ? I had a meeting with a guy the other day. He's an army ranger, just got out of, uh, left the army as a paratrooper and ranger. He's now a police officer. We sat down at breakfast. This was last week. And the first thing I, we talked about was the gospel. And I said, when was the time that you gave your life to Christ? He said, well, when I was in, in basic training, I went to a chaplain. I heard the gospel. I prayed to receive Christ. I say, have you been baptized? He goes, no, I've never been baptized. So I know where he stands, right? Right? He, he's, a, he's a baby Christian, right? But at least I know that. Now, if, if a person is not clear of their salvation, then that's a good time to tack that down. And if they are, then it's a good time to help them kind of revisit the hope of the gospel with them. So I'll usually start with that. The resources that we have start off the first lesson with the gospel. And it's for that reason. Yes, what we're saying is that are they saved? Are they, are they developing in these areas that we're training them in? Are they in some way showing that they're deployed in the mission field? I would include baptism in this as part of the uh, walking with God, you know, that devoted piece. I would say, okay, if you haven't been baptized, well, we're going to deal with that, you know, and we'd encourage you to be baptized. Uh, but I'm, I'm not going to go so far as to, I understand what you're saying. You're not really a disciple until you made a disciple. I get all that. I, I don't know what I'm saying. I agree with that. I'm just... No, I've heard it too. My, my question is just, you know, show me the verse, you know. I always go back to that. Uh, and, uh, you know, I don't want to move beyond what the Scripture says. I think that this clearly is within what Scripture is saying. Yeah, that's it goes back to show me the verse. You know, they're, they're not really told that right at the beginning. Uh, by the way, let me address a little side note. If y'all give me a, a little room for that. You know, some people try to see how do I think about it? Some people try to say that, you know, you're a Christian, right? But a disciple is like the Green Berets of, of the Christian faith. You know, they're the higher echelon. I completely disagree with that. Uh, I, I think that disciple was the word, like I said, it's 230 times in the gospel. They didn't even, weren't even called Christians till Antioch, right? So the Christian is only used a couple times in scripture as opposed to disciple. So the word disciple meant someone who's following Jesus. Back to the original definition of one who follows a master to become like the master and carry on the work. Yeah, actually, yeah, it was a derogatory term initially. Right, yeah. So disciple is, is the term for a follower of Jesus. And so I I would just say that, you know, it, people, we're growing, right? When a baby is born, they're a human, right? They're a little, they're a little human. Now they're not, they're not driving yet and they don't know long division, but, but they, they have what, you know, they have new life, right? But they got to be developed, you know? And so a person that's born again, you know, they're, they're an infant in Christ and they may be devoted, but they haven't developed yet. So that's our work, right? To parent them, to raise them up. Disciple making is just spiritual parenting. That's all it is. You're just, you're just parenting them up and raising them up till they can stand on their own and multiply. Yes, sir. That is the best transition into my next section I've ever, I'll give you 20 bucks when we're, when we're done. All right. So let's talk about that word make. How do you make a disciple? Now, by the way, uh, it's a good, good, good point that he's raising up. You know, that I guess you can look at this as, oh, well, this is a performance thing. I, I just think it's an obedience thing. There are many commands that Jesus gave us to do, right? It's not as much performance as it is just obedience uh, to, to the command of Jesus. This is a command that he's giving. It is an imperative. It is, like I said, the divine imperative. So Jesus gives us a process by which we should make uh, disciples. So let me let me roll this out for you. Here's the process. Uh, he uses these participial phrases. So the first one is go, right? And so when he says go here, he's talking to go out. Uh, I believe he's referring to going out and sharing the gospel. Go make disciples would imply that you're going and making new disciples, right? So uh, that you're going out. We call this at our church the explore phase. There must be some sense that you are going out to help explorers uh, come to faith in Jesus. 
Okay? So go refers to going out, sharing the gospel, sharing the, uh, sharing the story of Jesus, inviting people to know him. So that would, this go presupposes pre-conversion, right? I'm going out, sharing the gospel, hoping to draw people to Christ. Does that make sense? I'm going to move this over here so you can somewhat see. So, so I'm, I've got a little grid here. So I'm going to put a little cross there, meaning that, that in the go, you're trying to move them from uh, explore to the next thing. Baptize, baptize refers to connecting people. Obviously, baptism really meant two things in the scriptures, identity with Christ and I, uh, identity with, with Christ's people. Right, so to be I baptized was to identify with Jesus. In the West, we do we do we lean them back, right, and bring them back up, uh, depicting the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We're identifying with Jesus publicly as a follower of Him. Uh, I, I pastored uh, one of the churches I pastored. We planted a Vietnamese church, which I really like the way they baptize. They they would actually uh, put their hand on top of their head and they would squat down under the water, all right? And then when, then when he would say a few things, then they would lift their hand off and they would jump up out of the water, all right? And water would go everywhere. I thought that is really cool. I wish we, were, I wish we did that, you know? They'd leap up out of the water. So that's so very cool. But the idea is that they're identifying with Jesus and identifying with Jesus' people. That's why it's always done in community, right? And so, so you're connecting them to Christ. You're connecting them with the church. You're connecting them with the cause. All these things are happening here. You're connecting, okay, uh, them uh, to Christ and his people. That's what baptize Im implies, not just getting them wet. Go baptize. Then, of course, uh, teaching obedience, uh, people say teaching them to obey. Uh, I'd rather say teaching them to obey, right? The emphasis is on obedience, not on content, but you're teaching them. We call this at our church the grow phase, all right? Um, I'm going to put obey here, and this is the grow phase. In other words, uh, you're going to teach them uh, how to obey. So uh, if you're teaching someone to obey, is that high accountability or low accountability? High accountability. Is that uh, high expectation or low expectation? Uh, high expectation, right? So this is an environment now where you're teaching obedience, where it's not just like preaching from the pulpit, right? You have to be in, a con in an environment where people are trained to obey. If this is the training phase. This is the equipping phase. Um, and then there's one more step that is implied in, the, in Matthew 28, but is not expressed in Matthew 28. And that is the, what we call multiply or the multiply phase because he said, teach them to obey all I've commanded and what he just commanded them to do. Go make disciples, right? So I think you can imply their multiplication as well. That he's, he's told them to obey even the call to make disciples. So to uh, multiply. Now, what I've noticed is that this, if you look at it from a linear standpoint, the way this is written out, it's more uh, vertical. But if you look at it in a linear standpoint, then this is really the process by which you make a disciple. That you help, I, know, I don't know if you guys can see that in the back there, but that you're moving people from exploring where you help them explore. You're going out. You're helping people explore who Jesus is. This is, uh, this is what uh, uh, Hull used to call the come and see phase. Okay, I'm going to fill this in a little bit more at the next session. Uh, and then connecting, he called this the follow me phase. Okay, and then I think uh, he calls this next phase the be with me phase. Uh, which we'll get into the details of that next time. And then uh, the bear fruit, you know, phase. Okay. So basically this, this kind of linear uh, movement is, I think, exactly what's being taught in Matthew 28. Now, uh, I'm not the first one, obviously, to come up with that. Uh, Coleman's book really clearly plays this out. Uh, as as um, we're told, it's the gold standard, and uh, I believe that's true. And uh, bear fruit. This is the multiply stage where you're bearing fruit. So what Jesus gives you in Matthew 28 is is not only the product, make a disciple, which we have defined 
as the 3D disciple, but then how to make the how to make a disciple, and that is you got to move people from exploring Christ to coming to faith in Jesus to connecting with Him in the church, then moving them to an environment where they can grow, where they can have high accountability and be trained in obedience, and then eventually move them to a place where they multiply. Okay, those would be the four steps that Jesus used to do that. Which yes. Book did you say? You said there's a book that bore that out real well. Robert Coleman's uh, Master Plan of Evangelism. That's kind of the gold standard. Uh, you know, Hole is also one of his early books. Jesus Christ, Disciple Maker, which I think it is in reprint, does that. Uh, Dan Spader's book, Four Chair Discipling, also unpacks this one uh, pretty well. Uh, I talk about it in my book, Bold Moves. So uh, we un all these reference, you know, this same type of statement. Some we kind of slice it a little differently. You know, some, some say, well, there are five stages. Some say there are four stages, you know. So we all kind of, it's like one big long thing of salami. We cut it sometimes a little bit differently. We have certain different pivot points. Uh, and uh, we, we have fun discussions about that, uh, you know, <laughs> behind the scenes. But, uh, but anyway, the process really remains the same, okay? Now, here's some things I just want you to notice about this. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you into a, a session here to uh, evaluate how you're doing, okay? Uh, number one. One, the process is intentional. It is sequential. Okay, this is going to sound like a three-point sermon. It is intentional. All right? Every step is important. You can't delete a step. It is sequential in the sense that one step precedes the next one. If you skip around, there's going to be a challenge. Now, I know some people will say, well, wait a minute, Craig. Not everybody flows exactly through every step the right way. I get that. I'm a pastor. Remember, I, I have to deal with the messiness of it. But I'm, what I've learned is that those that try to circumvent this process never really get to a point of great multiplication. I've learned that the hard way. I've actually tried to circumvent this several times. and it, Jesus knew what he was doing. Um, so it is, it is intentional. It is sequential. And it, it is essential because that this is how a disciple is made. Most uh, churches do not align their programming in such a way to move people from one step to the next. Your goal to make a disciple is to start people when they're exploring and move them all the way to multiplying. That would be the end goal, right? To move people through each step along the way. Most churches have programs, they have no idea why they have them other than it's a hot thing and people want it or XYZ Church down the street offers this and we should do it too. Um, so when we, when I, at our church, we force our people to plot their programming in this grid. All right. And so what we ask people to do is this. We say uh, each program must fit in one of these four phases. Also, each program must have a primary purpose. It has to, has to have a primary, primary purpose. In other words, you say, well... Um, well, you know, this one thing that we do, it, it covers three or four of these things. No, it doesn't. It has one primary purpose. So what is the one primary purpose? Okay. And so you have to identify what that one primary purpose is and then plot it in the, in the, in the stage that it belongs. Okay. Success is moving people through the process. Uh, and you got to learn to measure the movement. How many people are you moving through this process? So what I want, what I'm going to challenge you to do is actually plot your programming. So in, in your uh, little guide here, if you pull out your assessment, uh, the first page looks something like this. And it says, I want you to list your top 10 programs or ministries. So what I'm just asking you to do is just list off, you know, your top programs or ministries. Okay, so if you have a worship service, that would go on there. All right. If you do groups, like small groups, that would go on there. If you do uh, Sunday school, that would go on there. If you do men's uh, breakfast, that would go on there. Women's Bible study, that would go on there. Prayer, uh, prayer services, that would go on there. Uh, youth, youth events, you know, that would go on there. Any, whatever you're doing in your church, I want you to just try to list off as many as you can. Ten would be a, a, a good start. Yes. So each program must fit in one. Yeah. Really 
So what I'm going to ask you to do first is list off what the programs are. And then on the, the next page, I'm going to ask you to plot that program, the primary purpose of that program, in one of these phases. Only one. There's only one primary purpose. All right. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're going to squirm on that. All right. Well, but my worship service, well, we, it's kind of explore because we have lost people, but then it really builds up the believer. But then I really talk about some things where we challenge them. And I hope that people will go share the sermon. So that's multiply. So my worship service does all four of them. And I'm going to say, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's going to do one of those things more than the other. It is going to have a primary purpose. You can't have four primary purposes. And so uh, part of that um, Part of the, the uh, diligence and work of saying what is the primary purpose actually sharpens your focus to make that program do what it's supposed to do. Our problem is we have a whole lot of stuff that does a whole lot of stuff and we don't know what we've got. We've got, we got ministry stew. Everything's just thrown in the pot, right? And we, and, and we don't know what anything is doing. And uh, so what I'm going to challenge you to do is going to be uncomfortable, but I'm going to ask you to plot those programs in one of these uh, categories. So in Explore, it would say the primary purpose is to reach the unchurched. So any programming you would have, you see where I'm at on this? Any program you have that is uniquely designed to reach unchurched people, you would put right here. Okay. That's the measurement. That if, it, if you didn't reach unchurched people, you would be upset that, that it didn't work, right? The second one is connect. The primary purpose is to connect new believers. Connect them to the church, connect them to each other, connect them in Bible study, but you're connecting new believers, okay? Uh, the grow is the primary purpose is to train the believer to multiply. That's a big one. Because a lot of people throw Bible studies, men's Bible study, into the grow category. Oh, we're growing spiritually. But you're just doing another Bible study. Amen. You're not training them with a skill that they need to multiply. That's what Jesus did in the grow phase. Which I'm going to come back and uh, unpack that even more in the next session. And then the last one is multiply. This, the primary purpose is encourage multipliers in fruitfulness. Okay. So what I want you to do is take a minute. And start plotting as many programs as you have uh, down on this previous page. Just list them off what they are. And then assess which spot they go in. Now, don't force it into that spot if it's really not there. Okay? It doesn't help you to be aspirational right now. Well, I, well, maybe it's, you know, no, don't, don't fabricate it and say, well, I'll put it over here, but it's not really there. Put it where it really is because... What I'm about to show you will help you. You're going to have an aha moment, I promise. All right? It's coming. Yeah, connect would be, okay, so thank you very much. I, I didn't, I was unclear on that. When, when you're in the connect phase, we talk about it in our church as connecting to four things. Connecting to Christ. So, you know, the, we put baptism in that, right? Whereas explore would be more prior to conversion. They haven't got saved yet. When they connect with Christ and baptism, we put that in the connect phase. They're connected with the church, so they like join the church. Uh, they connect with a community, so they're connected to a group of some kind and then connected with a cause. So, like they're, they're starting to serve in some way, right? Whether that's handing out programs or singing in the choir what you know they're just they're connected with some level of ministry um, and I can back that up scripturally when we come back I'll I'll, uh, I'll try to prove my case and I'm not just making that up go back to the previous slide okay you've got about 10 minutes to uh, go to work on this and uh, then we're gonna pull back together all right Ready to go. Okay. All right, folks. I know you're probably still working. This will be an ongoing process for you. This little tool, this little diagram is helpful. If you're in a, uh, a larger church, this is something you can use for every sub-ministry. So you can do this for adults, students, youth. Um, you know, however, however sub your ministries go. There are some ministries that are more... Um, Certain ministries that are, are general, 
In other words, they're going to move people through every phase. And then there are going to be some ministries of your church that are more specific or specialist related, like your greeting ministry, right? Your greeting ministry is probably not going to run everybody through all these phases, but they may play an integral part in the overall church moving people through. Does that make, does that make sense? So you have to you know, use some uh, discernment as to how that goes. Uh, let, me, let me share with you an example here. Uh, as, we, as we're about to leave. Uh, Dan Spader uh, tells a story about using a similar grid like this. And uh, he surveyed 100 churches and he asked them to plot their, their programming. And he said it would go something like this. He would say, so tell me about your programming. And they would say, oh, great, we do, uh, we do Sunday morning worship. He said, great, well, what is, the, what is the purpose, the primary purpose of Sunday morning worship? They said, well, it's to gather believers together, to pray, to, to learn from the Bible, to encourage one another. He said, okay, well, that's, that's pretty much connecting uh, believers together around the Word. So we'll put that here, uh, worship. All right, what else you've got? Well, we got a uh, prayer meeting. Oh, I love prayer meeting. What's the primary purpose of prayer meeting? Well, we get believers together. We read from the Bible and we pray and we encourage one another. All right, so that's kind of, you know, connecting people to the Word and prayer. So we'll put prayer meeting here. What else have you got? Well, we got Sunday school. Oh, great. I love Sunday school. What do you, what's the primary purpose of Sunday school? Well, we get believers together around the Bible and we, we pray. All right, well, Sunday school. All right, what else you got? We got men's prayer breakfast. All right, what's, what's the primary purpose of men's prayer? We'll get believers together and we, we pray and we sing some songs and we get around the Bible. Oh, okay, men. What, what else you got? Well, we got women's Bible study. All right, what do you do with, with men, women's Bible study? Well, we get women together and we pray and we get around the Bible. You follow, follow me? What he said is this. Out of 100 churches that were surveyed, 87% of them had all of their programming in the connect phase. All of it. There wasn't anything for specifically for lost people. There wasn't anything to disciple or grow people in reproducible skills. And there wasn't anything for people to multiply. Everything was to connect them to each other. All right? Now, listen, what happens if you don't have any flow coming in and you don't have any flow going out? What do you have? Mosquitoes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You got problems. <laughs> yes. And, and this, this, this is the condition of most churches, right? There are two bodies of water in Israel. There's the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. The Sea of Galilee has water flowing in from the North Jordan and flowing out the South Jordan. It's beautiful. It's, it's a place of life. It has health springs. You know, there's, there's fish there. There's palm trees there. It's beautiful. If you go to the Dead Sea, it, everything terminates in the Dead Sea. Nothing flows out of it and it's dead. Nothing can live there. And listen, that is a picture of two different kinds of churches. Churches that flow people through are churches that bring life. Churches that just terminate in only these things uh, will die. They will just die. Question. Does anybody have something that they do in the multiply stage? Let me, get, let me give you an example of what we do and then I'll throw it out there for uh, others to add on to that. Um, when we talk about grow, we're talking about basically your uh, D groups or your grow, what we call grow groups, your groups that are discipling and training them to multiply, right? So when they have completed that and now they are multipliers, when they are reproducing, they move to this last category. And so what are you doing to help people multiply in that way? Leaders may be back here discipling others, yes, of course, but what we do is we add something for just the leaders themselves to keep them motivated, challenged, uh, fired up, like uh, it would be leaders. So basically what is gonna happen here, and I'm gonna show you this at the beginning of next session, I'm going to unpack this at a, at a deeper level, and I'm going to show you that all your leaders should be selected from your multiply phase. Okay? And, and I'll, I'll get to that in just a minute. Great. So you just, uh, basically, you're going to have leaders of leaders here, you know, that are going to fall into that phase. And these are the people that are going to multiply your ministry. So what we did was, based on that, we went back and we wrote curriculum 
we, we have three books. One's called Walk with God, one's called Reach Your World, and one's called Invest in a Few. And that's why it came out of that study of the life of Christ. And so how could you train people? So we know the 3D, we know if somebody's been developed if they've been through those three tools, right? And then if they're starting to use that and starting to move into making disciples and investing in others, then we would say they're deployed. So we would, basically these are people that are moving out of this phase into that phase. So as a church, that's how we know uh, the disciples that we made. That's, you've got to have it pragmatic enough that you can go yes or no. You've got to, you know, in some ways. Yeah, we, we do. We do. Uh, we, I will do a message and I will, um, I put four chairs up there I've, and then I've had placards that I turn around and I basically just talk about, I can do one message that it explains explore, connect, grow, multiply. And then it's really cool because after that, I just have them kind of self-assess what stage do you think you're in and what is your next step? Every time I do that, I get a flood of people going, I want to go to that next stage. I want to go. So it's a good way to vision cast. This is, our church's strategic plan. Explore, connect, grow, multiply. They see it all the time. They hear about it a lot. What we're going to cover next is I'm going to come back to this and I'm going to fill this in on the life of Christ. I'm going to overlay the life of Jesus on top of this and I'm going to show you how much time Jesus gave to each category. It's going to be fascinating. And uh, then I'm going to talk to you about the challenges along the way where people tend to drop out. We're, the next topic is about uh, the last element of a disciple-making church is how do you get people to multiply, right? How do you have multiplying people? So we're going to talk about that. Then Chris Moody is going to pick it up from there, and he's going to give you four things you must do when you get home if you want to move down this direction. Very practical things. Okay, these are the things you got to put in the front of your mind to accomplish when you get back, okay? That's what we're going to do after the break. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast. Make sure to download a copy of a free ebook by Disciple First called Invest in a Few at discipleship.org slash disciplefirst. You'll find dozens of other great discipleship resources at discipleship.org as well. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker. Disciple Makers.